I invite you to turn with me this morning to John's Gospel, chapter 4. In John chapter 4, we're going to read the first 41 verses. A lengthy passage. Perhaps you're thinking, hey, the more he reads, the less he'll preach. That might work out. It might work out that way this morning. We'll see. In John chapter 4, again, we're reading verses 1 through 42. The word of the Lord from the Gospel of John. When the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew... Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and even his livestock? And so Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of living water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And so Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And so Jesus said, You have said, Well, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one with whom you now live is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And so Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went 
her way into the city and said to the men of the city, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. But in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? The harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Now when they said, then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your holy word. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us this morning, and Lord, help us to respond accordingly. Holy Spirit, would you move among us and would you prick our hearts? Would you challenge us? Would you encourage us and lift us up? And Lord, we pray that you would send us in your power to be your witnesses, witnesses of your son, Jesus. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. As we look ahead to check us out Sunday, I want to As we prepare for that day, I want to spend a couple of weeks kind of preparing our minds for what such a um, such an important day in the life of our church really means and how to prepare well for it us ourselves as we're trying to encourage others to come and to be a part. This morning, I want to spend some time focusing specifically on that role of encouraging others to come and be a part, that idea of going out. Uh, But then next Sunday, I want to spend some time talking about what are we inviting them into? What does it mean to be a, a, a family of believers that we're inviting people to participate in, to, to, to come and to see what we're about? And so I want to make this morning, uh, as we begin, just a few quick observations as we prepare for Check Us Out Sunday. And then we'll look directly at the text. The first observation I want to make is that families tend to grow. David Perfect timing for that announcement about Charlotte. Families tend to grow. They grow not just by getting older. That's a type of growth. You know, the kids grow up, they get a bit taller, maybe a little bit chubbier, a little pudgier. Um, that, that's kind of a natural, typical growth. And they grow not just by maturing, not just about, not just by learning one another, learning more information, learning more about each other, learning how to live better together. That's, that is maturity, which is different than just physical growth. 
Maturity doesn't always happen as we physically grow, unfortunately. But also families tend to grow numerically, bringing others into the fold, bringing others to gather together at the table. Second observation I want to make this morning is that we pride ourselves, we at Faith Methodist, we pride ourselves on being a family. That's one of the most common things you and I say about this church. In fact, not long ago, uh, I asked more than one person, what is it about faith that, that, that you love? What is it about faith that, that, that brings you here, that brings you back, that brings you back to the table, that sort of thing? And it was, there was kind of a common, um, a common thing. Well, I, I feel like I'm part of the family here. I feel like I'm involved. I feel like we love one another. We're kind to one another. We, we know one another. Families, not only are they loving and kind and know about one another or know one another, but they also count on one another. And we're counting on each other. When we show up for church on a Sunday morning, we're looking to see who's here. And we're missing those who aren't here because we count on one another. We look forward to one another's company. Families tend to grow and we pride ourselves on being a family. The third observation I want to make is that guests become friends and friends become family. That's often how life works in a, in a, in a church family. Guests become friends and friends become family. As we draw others in, as we reach others, we want to build relationships with them because we want them to see what we have here. Typically when a kid makes a friend at school and he has the friend over uh, for that first time, there's that kind of awkward, that awkward getting your feet wet, getting to know each other type, type, uh, type period of time where you feel like a guest. But, but as guests continue to come around, they tend to become more like friends and eventually become even more like family. Another observation I want to make before we look directly at the text and what it tells us about Jesus' way of reaching others is that we as a family need guests. We need guests. We need them desperately. It's not just that we need to grow numerically, though we do, but it's also that we ourselves need to be more like Jesus. Jesus was all about welcoming people. He was all about bringing others into the fold. He was all about being that good shepherd who leaves the 99 to go and get the one who strayed off. He was all about reaching people like the Samaritan woman. And we need to be more like Jesus. We as a church need to be more like Him. And we as individual Christians who say, I am a Christian, which literally means I am like Jesus. I am a little Christ. We need to be more like Him. And so let's look specifically at the text before us this morning here in John chapter 4. Notice that Jesus went where others wouldn't go. Hearing that this is a Samaritan woman 
of a Samaritan village may not mean much to you, but let me tell you just a a, a small bit of what that significance is. In Israel, you've got Judea, which is mentioned by name here, which is in the southern part of the nation. You've got up north, Galilee, which is where Jesus grew up. Judea is where Jerusalem is. Jesus did much of his ministry there, though he did most of his ministry up in Galilee. In the middle was a a section of land called Samaria. And Samaritans hated Jews, and Jews hated Samaritans. They, They had very little in common, and they wanted nothing to do with one another. So much so that a Jew going from Galilee to Judea, or from Judea to Galilee, would cross the Jordan River, go through the wilderness, and come back out across the Jordan River just to keep the Samaritan dust from dirtying their feet. And that feeling of hatred and resentment was mutual. For a Jew, Samaritans were people you don't go around. Samaria was a land that you avoided like the plague. It was the parts of town that you avoided. Parts of town where you had very little in common with others. Parts of town that you didn't want to be seen in. People you didn't want to be seen around. These were truly lost people. They were the outcasts. They were the unreached and the wanderers. And we live among people who are truly lost, who are outcasts, who are unreached, and who are just wandering about through life. But Jesus went where others wouldn't go. And He calls His people. He gives us an example in Himself of going where others wouldn't go. Remember, Jesus also said, where I am, my disciples will be also. And so, Strangely enough, the disciples, they have no clue why Jesus has to go through Samaria. This is a place we avoid, Lord. And they're right there with Him. Then they go into town to buy some food. But notice that Jesus went with a sense of urgency. The disciples didn't share this sense of of urgency, unfortunately. In fact, they seem oblivious to what's going on. As we often are oblivious to what Jesus is doing. They wander off into town to buy food and they leave Jesus at the well. But Jesus was was urgent in His mission. He had to go through Samaria. It was as though He had an appointment to make. He went with a sense of urgency. And as soon as the woman walks up, He engages her in conversation. Because Jesus welcomed the woman. He welcomed her especially through conversation. You know, hospitality, that's a word that we like to use often. But, but it's, it's one of those words that we rarely use in non-religious circles. We don't often think all that much about hospitality, at least as a word, in our private lives, or in our work lives, or that sort of thing. Hospitality is something we typically think of as a specifically religious term. But hospitality at its core is about welcoming others. It's about making room for them. And Jesus did just that through conversation. He welcomed 
this woman. He made room for her in his life, in his day. Notice how Jesus did this. He started up a conversation. He was simply willing to say something. He's kind of bossy with it. Give me a drink. I think it's okay if Jesus bosses us around a little bit. We're his disciples. This woman's not yet, but he tells her, give me a drink. He simply says something. He breaks the ice. He's willing to open his mouth. But notice that he also, he does more than just talk. He listens, and he listens well. He allowed her to speak. He made room in his life. Again, he was hospitable to her. Recognizing that a conversation is something that is words exchanged with someone, and therefore it necessarily involves the other person. And so he's willing to listen well. She spoke and he listened. He listened to both her words and to her heart. He's not just responding. Notice, he's not just responding to the words that come out of her mouth. He is responding to the deepest recesses of her heart. And because of that, he makes room for her, welcomes her through conversation by also guiding the conversation. Jesus has an agenda. All of us have an agenda. We can try to pretend to be pious and act like, well, I don't want to manipulate other people or, or you know, impose my will upon anyone else. And of course, the gospel never calls us to impose our will, but it does call us to intentionally propose that Christ is the one who can put our lives back together. But every conversation we enter into, we've got an agenda. Maybe it's just to relax a bit. You just wanted to get coffee. Maybe it's just to get to, to know one another a bit more. Maybe it's to ask for a raise. Maybe it's to, to, uh, to, to pitch some ideas that your boss maybe hasn't considered about how this place could run better. We all have an agenda in every conversation we have. Even that, how was your day, honey, conversation. There's an agenda. How was your day? I want to know what's going on. I want to know how you're feeling. Jesus surely had an agenda. And He was willing to guide the conversation. He was willing to guide it according to what was going on in her, through her words and in her heart. And he was listening well. He was engaged with her in conversation. Because Jesus recognized the conversations are opportunities for grace. That's why the Apostle Paul encouraged the Colossians, let your speech always be full of grace. Of grace. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Conversations that we enter into or opportunities for the grace of God to work through our lives into the lives of others. Notice what then happens. As Jesus has engaged her in conversation, and she's got some questions, and He's got some answers, and He continues to push and prod and get down to the core of what's going on in her life. 
she begins to recognize there's something special about this Jesus. Look, I know that the Messiah is coming. We, along with the Jews, have known this, that that He's going to come. And He's going to be able to tell us all things. And Jesus point blank tells her, I who speak to you am He. And notice what her response is. The woman turned immediately to others. You see, His urgency became hers. His sense of calling and destiny, and I've got to get there, became hers. He had to get to Samaria. And she, as a result of meeting Jesus, had to get back to Sakar, her village in Samaria, because His urgency, the urgency of Jesus, became hers. It became hers, it seems, almost naturally, at least immediately. She turns toward others. Others have got to meet this man. Others have got to see what I've seen. Others have got to hear what I've heard. Others have got to have their lives touched as mine is being touched. Question. Why don't we beg folks to come to Faith Methodist? Sometimes I think we really, whether we realize it or not, sometimes I think we ourselves, though we might think it's beyond us or we're beyond it, I think sometimes we think of this as a club. We, we say that about other churches, not, maybe not we, but folks in the Christian world say that about other churches, that you know, church is not a, a country club, a social gathering place. And I know that begging is unbecoming. So I'm not talking really about begging people to come. Begging people to visit. What I mean though is, do folks really feel like you and I care about our church? Do folks really feel like you and I think that it brings joy and benefit to our lives. Do they see that joy? Do they see that benefit? And do folks really feel like you and I would love for them to find the same thing here that we found? I think that's an important question to ask. To ask ourselves, We say that we are like family. We say that we love what we have here. That we found something special. But just as Jesus said, you don't light a lamp and then put it under a basket. You put it up so that others might see it. So that others might be drawn near. So that others might benefit from the light. So also, I think that that's the type of... of expectation and excitement and enthusiasm that we ought to have for what we have here.
Some of us might even say that Sunday mornings is one of the best things we've got going on in our week. Do others know that? This is an important question for a number of reasons, but one of those reasons is that we, you and I, probably every one of us in this room, we have friends, we have family members, we have co-workers, and we have neighbors whose lives are wrecks. They may be people that we've not gotten all that close to because they're Samaritans. They're the type of people with the type of problems we'd rather not be all that much associated with. But some of them share our blood. They're relatives. Some of them share our neighborhoods. Some of them we see at work throughout the week. And do we care enough to pray for them? Do we care enough to reach them? Do we have that sense of urgency that Jesus had? That sense of, I've got to go through Samaria. Do we care enough to inconvenience ourselves in the least bit? To go out of our ways in the tiniest bit to even say something? One last observation. Jesus was already at work. He was already at work in the life of the Samaritan woman and He is already at work in the lives of people all around us. If you take notice of others, you'd see it all around you. Jesus is working. And sometimes you know that Jesus is working because life is a wreck. And that means Jesus, the one who is able to fix the wrecks, the one who is able to clean up the mess, the great physician, He is there. He is working. He is waiting. He is pushing. He told His disciples, the harvest is waiting. People all around us are hungry. Desperately so. He told the Samaritan woman that the well is full of living water. His well, His source is full and ready. And folks all around us are thirsty and desperately so. And they're filling their lives just like this Samaritan woman, just like this lady of Sakar, this lady who Jesus shouldn't have been talking with, this lady who the disciples were put off by. They're filling their lives with things that never do satisfy and things that never will satisfy. They're just gorging themselves on things that are empty. And often, all we've got to do is just care enough. Just care enough to talk. Just care enough to talk to them and care enough to talk to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, I can't help but think that You want to do something in this person's life. And I'm scared, I'm intimidated, I'm embarrassed. 
but would you please use me? You know, Jesus in the Gospel of Luke said that the, the fields are ready for harvest, and therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. And the interesting thing is that as we pray for the Lord to send out laborers, we tend ourselves to, be real, to begin realizing that He's sending us. That's not the job of someone else. If we don't go, if we don't reach them, who will? See, we are, I think, desperately lazy and are dying of a terrible lack of urgency. We are too satisfied with trying to draw people and not committed enough to trying to reach them. And there's a whole world of difference between the two. Drawing people means, hey, we don't have to go. We don't have to say anything. We don't have to really do anything. We don't have to engage people in conversation. We can just hopefully get the word out through osmosis. People will know we're here. Maybe the sign's out front. Maybe people will come across our webpage. Maybe we can you know, share that an event's coming up and maybe, maybe folks will see it. That's drawing people. And that's easy stuff. That's stuff that anybody can do. But reaching people means that we're willing to go. Reaching them means that we're willing to impose upon ourselves the responsibility that I've got to go through Samaria. I've got to talk to that guy at work. I've got to meet that neighbor. I've got to invite those friends. And not just invite and not just say, hey, there's this thing that's coming up. I think you might enjoy it. Just let me know. But let me tell you about my church. It's helped me so much. It's helped me in this way and in that way. And man, I think you'd love it. Think about this. Jesus reached you through others. And He wants to reach others through you. Every last stinking one of us, He reached through somebody else. It may have been our mom, our dad, our grandparents. It may have been a youth pastor. It may have been a lady up the road who took us to VBS. There's no telling. But Jesus has reached every single one of us through other people. We're here because of the investment of other people. And He wants other people to be here because of your investment. He wants to reach others through you and through me. 
And so, Check Us Out Sunday is a mitz t-ball easy. It's a, it is an easy way, an easy opportunity for us to not just try to draw people, but to try to really reach people. Because if all you and I do is just share something with everybody on Facebook or you know, hope people will hear about it and just pray for it, if that's all we do, then we're, we're resting too much on drawing people and we're not taking seriously enough what Jesus did all throughout the Gospels and that was teaching His disciples to go and reach people, to go where people are hurting, to step into the lives of people who need a conversation, a cup of water, to recognize that somebody else has made room in their lives for them. I said check us out Sunday is easy. It's like t-ball, easy. What I want to do is David and I have already talked and he's going to help me get these communication cards in your hand. Some of you already have them. David, would you come grab these and grab the pens for me? On the back of your communication card this morning, it's a bit different than usual. There's still the little note that I'm glad to be worshiping with you this morning. How can I be praying for you? But under that, there's something special. Check us out Sunday is October 28th. Who all are you inviting to be your guests? I've given you a few lines there. Put multiple names on on each line if you need more room. But here's what I want you to do. I want us to all think about who it is, not just that we could invite, but who it is that we are willing to commit to invite. For some of us, this will be family members. Some of us, this will be people we work with. that we either know don't have a church home or that we suspect might not have a church home. And it's going to take a little bit of judgment on your part to think through, who is it in my life that could probably benefit from this? For some of us, it's going to be neighbors. For some of us, it'll be folks that our kids hang with and their parents. But I want you to, I want all of us to take a few moments to prayerfully consider who it is that we're going to invite because we've got two, two weeks to be inviting them. I want to encourage you. Invite them early. Invite them now. Like today, tonight, tomorrow. So they've got plenty of opportunity to plan ahead and think through, okay, yeah, I think I can make that work. I can be there on the 28th. That's two weeks out. But then, you know how it is. You invite somebody over to your house. Hopefully everybody got the email early in the week about this because I explained it quite a bit in detail there. Typically you invite somebody over to the house. We had Banks over uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And um, he and I talked about it a few weeks ahead of time. Now it had been kind of weird and it had been awkward if I didn't say a single thing to Banks about it since then. He would probably be thinking, am I supposed to just show up tonight? Or do I send him a text? Like am I kind of imposing myself? Like, hey, am I still coming over tonight? Typically, when you invite somebody over, you follow up with them. Unless, you know, you're inviting somebody over tonight, you assume that they're going to be there. But if you give somebody a heads up, you're typically going to follow up with them. 
That's not you being pushy. I think too often we are so, I'll coin a word, inurgent, and we're so uh, insecure about telling other people about our church or about our faith that we think, well, I've already said something, I'm not going to say anything else because they're going to think I'm just preaching at them. If you're not preaching at them, you're not preaching at them. And if you invite somebody to church to a specific thing, it would be totally normal and natural for you to follow back up with them as that time draws near. Like, hey, are you are you still planning on making it this Sunday? Or did you figure figure out how you can be there? I'd really love for you to be my guest. I think you'll love it. I love it. I want to introduce you to some of my friends. It'll be really cool. And be normal and natural with people. I can't stress that enough. Banks, you're probably going to have to edit this quite a bit because I'm, I'm, I'm very much rambling here and I'm trying to coach you all up. But it's not being pushy if you ask somebody ahead of time and then follow back up with them. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't, not all of you are on Facebook, if you're on Facebook, please go to the event, say that you're going and not just interested. It looks weird that there are three of us who are going and, you know, come on, there are more than three of us here today. Surely you know if you're planning on being here in two weeks or not. Um, but then also consider sharing it with your friends. But share it with them personally. Don't just throw it on your page. Say something about it. I mean, if you just want to throw it on your page, I'm not going to criticize you for that. But if, you, if you'd be willing to say something personal about it, like, guys, I love my church. I think you would too. Please come visit me. Um, that's, that's a little bit more of a personal invitation. Hopefully I've rambled long enough that you've had enough time to prayerfully think through who it is that you're going to be inviting. And what I'm wanting you to do is, number one, I'm, I'm wanting you to name your friends, name them to me through this communication card, but also throughout these next couple of weeks, name them to Jesus. Pray for them. Pray for you to have strength and courage and, and wisdom on how to ask, when to ask, and that sort of thing. And be praying that God's Spirit would draw them, that He would be at work in their lives, that He would use you, and that He would use our church on October 28th for Checks Out Sunday. And I promise you this, not only am I going to be praying for you, I'm going to be praying for your friends, and your family members, your co-workers by name. And invite them. Invite them personally and winsomely. Let them know why you want them to come. Let them know what you think they might get out of it. After the closing song, Bill and the ushers will be taking up the collection. I want to invite you to drop off your communication cards in, in there. Please make sure that I get a card for you this week because I, I want to know how to be praying for you and I want to know who to be praying for in your life that you're going to be trying to reach through Check Us Out Sunday. Now let's pray. Father, we pray that You would encourage our hearts, that You would inspire us by the life of Your Son, Jesus,
We pray that you would help us in him to see one who is urgent about the salvation of the world. One who is urgent about reaching those who are searching. One who is urgent about, I have to go. I've got to be there. I've got to speak with this person. I've got to show them that you notice them, that you have made room for them. Because I've noticed them, and I've made room for them. Lord, we pray that the urgency of Jesus would become our urgency. That you would help us as we have seen our lives touched and helped and strengthened and given new life to turn our attention toward others as well so that they might find what we found in Jesus. And specifically, through His church here at Faith Methodist. Lord, we pray that You would help us. We pray that You would help all of who we are and all of what we have to be Yours and that You would use us as Your people to reach others so that they might become your people, because Lord, we know that this is not about us. This is not about only what we get out, only what we benefit. Lord, this is about you reaching the world, reaching those who are lost, reaching those who are hurting. And so Lord, help us to get involved in what you're doing. We pray all this in the name of your Son. Amen. Hebrews and have the benediction. Uh, just wanted to again tell you, Lindsay and I can't thank you enough for your uh, your show of love this morning, and um, we're very grateful. I'm I'm excited to drink my, from a mug and get after my coffee and whatnot. Thank you very much. We we really do love you, and um, our kids love you, and we're a part of this family. You know, you're not the family. We're all the family here, and so we um, we're thankful. Thank you. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever 
and ever. Amen. May we go in the blessing of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.